praise you, Lord Jesus. And you guys can be seated. Good morning. So grateful for this praise, Ben, how they've led us in worship and led us to the point where we're going to open up God's Word. And I hope you're energized on some level or another to do the same. We're going to be in James. Sound good? Is that all right? Yeah, you guys can give feedback every once in a while. It's all right. Yeah, James chapter 3 is where we're at today. And I want to start with this... Um, little activity here as I like to do. I want to start with asking you a question. I want you to answer a question for yourselves, and, and it's this. I want you to put yourself in a category, okay? Is that all right? One of two categories, and, and here are the categories. Are you, or is your personality more of a peacemaker or an agitator, okay? And I want you to just answer this for yourself, not out loud, please not out loud. And, and I want all the agitators on this side, and then I want all the peacemakers to just move your way over on this side. And you at home, I don't know what we'll do with you guys. Okay, don't move, obviously, but I want you to categorize yourselves. And it's not so important that you put yourself in a category, because I have a feeling that you might be like, well, I'm a peacemaker. But if I asked your wife if you were a peacemaker, she'd be like, no or have asked your kids, or have asked your friends, right? So it's not so important that you, you, know, you put yourself in the category in, in as much as it is important that I think we need to realize, church, that regardless of where you put yourself, we all need to grow in an area in which we, being the bride of Christ, the, the church of Jesus Christ, be peacemakers. It's what he's calling us to do. And it's certainly something that James is talking about. It's not every day that I pull an orange out of my pocket while I'm preaching. Anyway, more on that later. Um, but, however, uh, we are going to talk about being peacemakers and, and the church being, being a church that is about reconciliation today. But James goes about it in a very unique way. And let me show you how he does that as he actually addresses wisdom so if you have a Bible or an app, I encourage you to turn there. James chapter 3, we're looking at the second part, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 18. And I'm going to read it for you as we get started. Always, It will always, as usual, be up on the screen too. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable and gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere. And then verse 18, kind of a summary of the whole chapter. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Not just our peace. peace not just have peace in our hearts, but those who make peace. They're seeking peace. That sort of thing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Man, do we need this now. In a world filled with turmoil and division, we're seeking wisdom as we seek peace. And so, Lord, we ask you to, uh, 
to soften that place in our hearts that allows us to be open to what you need us to hear today. So that's what I pray upon all of us here. Lord Jesus, send your spirit into this place that we would be transformed into the men and women of God you want us to be. And do that through your word now. Give us wisdom as we address this subject today. We pray this in your holy and precious name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Notice the question in verse 13. He starts with a question. It's rhetorical, just like other questions he's asked in the first few chapters here. Again, James is assuming rhetorically, if you think you're wise, and you probably do, that's where he's going with this. If you think you're wise, and you probably do, if you think you have the quality of having experience and knowledge and good judgment, which at a certain age you just get to that point where you say, I know what's best for me, right? If you are there, he says, well then, if it's truly godly wisdom that you're following, then it will portray itself in a certain way in the way you are living your life. Now just... Just in case you don't think this applies to you, just in case you think, well, I don't think I'm wise in my own eyes. That's the way the Bible puts it. Go through this little drill with me. If in the middle of an argument you've ever said, well, I know I'm right, you're wise in your own eyes. If you've ever thought to yourself, my opinion makes more sense, you're wise in your own eyes. If you've ever thought, they don't have the experience I have. You're wise in your own eyes. If you've ever thought to yourself, they don't have the education that I was given, you're wise in your own eyes. Here, here's another one. If you enjoy confrontation or openly initiate a discussion knowing the other person already disagrees, you're wise in your own eyes. See, it's something we all struggle with on some level, and James knows that. And he's probably applying it to himself as well, just as we all should be. And here's what he's doing. He's telling us that true wisdom doesn't make us better or pit us against one another or divide. Instead, it's humble and pure. And he gives these lists. In fact, he contrasts some things. But first, he starts with this phrase. It's a very unique phrase. You see it in that first verse that we're in. The phrase is meekness of wisdom. It's actually speaking to something he referenced in the first chapter. It's an attitude of contentment towards God uh, instead of being resistant to the will of God. What he's saying is, if you are truly wise, you will have meekness of wisdom. In other words, rather than being resistant to God's will, and following your own will, you'll be open to where God is, is leading you. And, and, and that flies in the face of so much we do in life, right? Because we're so quick to say, you know, God, as long as you're of some benefit to me, you can come along for the ride. See, we do that in our actions, don't we? Lord Jesus, your word, boy, this part of it really makes sense to me, so I'll follow this. But this over here doesn't make a lot of sense, and it, it kind of seems a little outdated, so we're going to kind of neglect that part of the Bible, that sort of thing. And God's saying, no, no, no. True wisdom is found in meekness 
to his wisdom. And that's a characteristic that the believer in Christ has been given by the Holy Spirit to be in submission to the authority of God rather than what the world goes after, and that is submission to self in all of the ways of the world. So going back to the question, if you think you are wise, and you probably do, well, then it will show up in the characteristics of wisdom that look a certain way. In other words, look pure and righteous. And we'll get to that list of things. But first he contrasts the wisdom of heaven to the wisdom of the world. You can see it in verse 14. If you think you're wise, but your conduct and character is filled with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, well then, you are not wise. If you're envious and unkind to each other, if you're looking to gain and achieve in life at the expense of others, that's not true wisdom. Instead, it's the ways of the world. You're following the world. You're just like everyone else, James is saying. And what are the ways of the world? Selfishness, greed, power, competition towards one another, right? Now, competition isn't bad in itself, right? But this is what the evil one does. He puts one against another, and it's always about people. We do it with politics. Rather than it be about policy, we make it about a person, right? We do it when we fight with one another. Rather than making it about the problem, we make it about the person, and if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you're not, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Because that's relationship, pitting one against another. That's what I'm talking about when I say that there is, there is this competition, right? Which is, which is found as selfishness and greed and power. These are the ways of the world. What James is talking about is a competition that says, you know, it's not fair what they got. It's not fair what they have. I, I don't have as much. It's the competition that says, look what, look what they have and what I don't have, or look what I hope to get that I never seem to be able to have. It's pretty likely that what James is referencing here is the story of Adam and Eve and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the reason I say that is at the heart of Adam and Eve's sin was the deception of the serpent. And at the heart of that was Satan's jealousy to be like God. So the root of Adam and Eve's sin was desire to have something that they were not to have. So, so the tree wasn't necessarily bad in itself, but God says you can have everything before you. You can have absolutely everything in this garden, but do not eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he's still doing that today, by the way. You can have this. I'm going to bless you with so much. And what do we do? We want something either we shouldn't have, don't have, or wish to have. And James is reminding us here that that's a heart of envy. You know, we don't always see ourselves as envious because that seems to be the other person who's just always wishing for that fancy sports car they're never going to be able to get if they don't make enough money. But envy takes root in some of the most simple, simplistic of things of life. And that's where envy comes in here. If I only could be like that. Have you ever looked at someone's post online and 
than like they always get to go on vacation and I'm always at home. <laughs> right? Yep. They, they just have it so easy. I bet they were born with that money. Yeah, I bet someone gave them that money. That sort of thing, right? Envy, right? We might do it with silly things like posts online, but the truth is we have envious hearts. I never get this. I wish to have that, but I never have it. Going after things that aren't ours. You know, God is gracious. He is good. And yet what we struggle with is always wanting what? More. Or something we shouldn't have. What, what is it today that you're dealing with personally that you want and you wish you had? And, and either you shouldn't have it or it's not yours in the first place to have. Look at verse 14 again. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Do you see what he's saying here? He's talking about the person who, by all accounts, talks very religious or personal, or spiritual, excuse me, but cannot even get along with people at church. Or, for that matter, doesn't fellowship with a believer because he can't see eye to eye or get along, so we're just going to avoid. It's about having the appearance of spiritual life, belief, and faith, but deep down inside having a heart of envy and jealousy and selfish ambition. And he says it leads to something. Do you see what he says there in verse 14? It leads to what? It leads to bitterness. I guess he says it in the next verse, but anyway, what does bitter coffee taste like? I had some this morning. <clears throat> it's terrible. If I were to bite into this orange with the peel on, what would it taste like? Right? Citrus has something in it called a high concentration of flavonoids. I'm not making that up. It actually does. Yeah. And that actually keeps pests from getting into the fruit itself, right? I was on a mission trip down in Mexico, and if you know anything about that mission that we go down to, you know, annually, uh, they, they, have, they have some farmland in which they produce food for, you know, the students who, who live at the uh, mission there. And, and they have some great fruit trees. And, and one year I was there and I said, man, those look good. And he said, if you want to pick one, you can, but I picked the wrong one. And I picked something that just wasn't ready to be eaten. And I peeled it off and it looked so good. And then I took a bite and I was just like, oh, like, you know, drinking orange juice from a aluminum can, you know, that sort of taste, right? except no sugar at all, you know, no sweetness whatsoever, right? If I were to bite into this right now, what's it going to taste like, the peel anyway? Bitter. And James is kind of referencing two things. Either something tasteless or something that tastes awful or lacks sweetness. And remember, he's talking about our tongues. Last week, Pastor Kevin talked all about how our tongues are a powerful thing, and the way we talk matters, right? And so the context for which he is speaking to is our tongues. And what he is saying is, how can you say you have the love of Christ in your hearts, and you talk so bitter towards one another? He's referencing verse 12 when he talks about how water that is salty cannot be fresh water, and fresh water is not salty water. The two don't mix in a sense. You can't have 
You can't say this and, and live this way, right? He's been talking about works. And, and, and so this is why then he references the tongue and why he tells us that what we say and how we speak to one another matters. And he says, if you're following the wisdom of the world, you're, you're not going to speak so, so bitter towards one another. And he challenged us in this way. He says, believer in Christ, you should live like your Savior, which says that the wisdom you're following leads to characteristics like, and you see this whole list of characteristics in the next verses. The first one that he brings up is that the believer in Christ should live pure. If you're following the wisdom of God, it means you'll live a pure life, which means clean. You know, it's been interesting studying this week because to look at, at some of this list of things that James uh, gives us here is really telling to how he's speaking to it. James is saying, don't be a hypocrite. You can't say Jesus is in my heart and, and then live with uh, a long line of dirty deeds following you. That's hypocrisy. He said, first and foremost, the wisdom of God is pure. And then he says, it's peaceable. It's peaceable, which means harmonious. It's looking to keep unity, not incite division. It means it's searching for ways that it can bring reconciliation into relationship. And church, that's what we should always be about, because that is what Christ has done for us. He has taken our separation between God and man and brought it back together when he shed his blood on the cross, right? And then proved it by rising again and winning victory over death. We are to be living in victory, therefore we can leave, live lives peaceable with one another, pure and peaceable. Then he says gentle. What does gentle look like? I, I think of a, a physical action there. But really what he's speaking of is he's speaking about the tongue is the same thing Proverbs 15.1 is saying. A gentle answer turns away wrath. We should, be, we, should, we should be ones who are leading in this. The church should be the ones who are an example of this. A gentle answer turns away all, all kinds of nastiness, so to speak. Pure and peaceable and gentle. This next one is really important for us to hear. Open to, what does it say? Open to reason. It means being open to someone's rationale. Not, not, not open to compromise of, of our doctrines. Instead, open to change and possibilities. When someone's new at church, for example, are, are we quick to say, hey, that's a great idea. We don't do things like that around here, but that's a great idea. Or are we more like, you're not from around here and we don't do things that way open to reason. You know, one of the reasons I think the, the church has lost its open-mindedness, so to speak, is that it's so sick about hearing about worldly open-mindedness, which really just means acceptance of all things, no matter the consequences. But true and right open-mindedness is a good thing. Why? Because it's in that that we are harmonious in Christ, and it brings us together. Because, you know, newsflash, we don't all think alike right? In fact, you're the only one who thinks like you do. <laughs> we don't think like you, and you don't think like me. And yet, every single day, we think in our minds at some point, man, they don't think like me. And then we're surprised, right? 
We have different ways of looking at things. Are we open to reason with each other? Of course, this isn't speaking about our core doctrines in the church. But yeah, we have a way of doing things. Why? Because we're wise in our own eyes. And James is challenging us. No, no, we are. We are a diverse community made up of all sorts of different ways of thinking. And when we are one in Christ, we are strong for his kingdom, not our kingdom in our ways, right? And so James gives us this picture of what true wisdom follows, purity, and it's peaceable, and it's gentle, and it's open to reason. And then, for good reason, he follows it by saying, it's full of mercy and good fruits. And this is a phrase here, but it means not holding sins against one another. Church, we are not to hold sins against one another, which means that fight you had two weeks ago that you're still hanging on to, get rid of it. Let it go. Give it to God. Ask for forgiveness. That thing 10, 15 years ago, let it go. Give it to God. Why? Because all sorts of bitterness comes when we don't deal with sins. Sins against one another. Ways we've hurt people. Places where we have not been merciful when God is bringing us to a place of grace and mercy. And it's so important for us to, to see not holding sins against one another, but in goodness, treating each other with respect and dignity. And then he says this, impartial and sincere. Again, a phrase. The term impartial actually means unwavering. And together, these terms speak to unwavering and genuine love for each other, something that comes from the heart. In other words, when it's sincere, it's not just nice for the sake of being nice. I call it Sunday morning nice, right? When we're all like, how are you doing? I'm great, right? And we don't mean it at all. Or, or you know, at telling someone a compliment that you don't really mean that sort of thing. James is going in a different direction with this. He's saying, no, when it comes from the heart, when it's really something of, of Jesus, it, it's something that is sincere. And so we're unwavering in our love for one another because we have the love of Christ within us. And actually, this is why he closes his thoughts in verse 18, which is a summary of the whole chapter, where he first addresses the tongue and the power of our speech. And then he talks about wisdom and how true wisdom is quite a bit different than the wisdom of the world. And he closes by saying this. Look at verse 18. It says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I asked my kids last night when we were doing some devotions about this verse, and I asked them, what, what does this mean? And they were like, I, I don't have a clue. Why? Because it can be lost on us you know, something like a farming analogy, something that's speaking to planting, that sort of thing. It could be lost on us in, in at least today's culture, the places where we live today. But, but here's what he's showing us. He's saying, you know, when you plant something in soil, and, and, and in a spiritual analogy, he's saying everything that you're doing, all of your deeds, they're, they're being planted in a soil of something, right? Is that soil peace? Or is that soil envy and bitterness, right? It's a really powerful picture. 
And, and what it really means is, and it's interesting what he's saying, it means heavenly wisdom produces, what grows from it is peaceable deeds, which in turn multiply into a harvest of righteousness. Which is also to say, it's contagious. Those who make peace produce all kinds of goodness within the fellowship of believers and the communities they make up. Because when we're good to each other, more and more goodness flows from it. It's like what Proverbs 12, 18 says. There is one whose rash or eruptive words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I like that. Or Colossians 4, 6, be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them out. Be peaceable. In fact, look for ways that you can bring peace. So it's pretty good advice, isn't it? Right, sure? It's pretty good encouragement. Now, on one hand, this certainly means we are to be diligent in seeking peace with one another and speaking kindly and doing the work of reconciliation. It's a good reminder. Work hard. Work hard at keeping peace with one another. It's going to take diligence. You're going to have to bite your tongue sometimes, and at other times you're going to have to refrain from reacting. But the problem with advice, even good advice, the inherent problem with something that tells us to work harder and continue to strive is that in the end, we struggle to follow through. You know, as long as I've been alive, from when I was a little kid, my mom and dad told me, be kind, be nice, and I'm still working on it. I told my kids as, as early as they could hear me. <laughs> Be nice to your brother and sister. And guess what? I had to say it last night too. <laughs> right? You know, the problem with good advice is that it only goes as long as you remember it or as long as you get your own way, right? Again, the inherent problem with positive advice is that we cannot follow it in the way we want to, and this is why I'm convinced that what James is actually doing in verse 18 is he's bringing us to the gospel. He's actually pointing us back to Jesus. Because who's our peace? Who, who gives us true peace? Who's defeated division and separation and brought back from the dead eternal life? Jesus is our peace. And we're called to be peacemakers just as our Savior and Lord who made peace by His healing work on the cross because He has won the victory. That's why He calls us to be reconcilers to Him first. And as we are to Him, we will be with others. So what this is really about is James saying, stop seeking the wisdom of the world, which will never lead to peace. And instead, receive the peace of Christ, allowing it to rule in your hearts. And in that rest, may the peace of Christ overflow in your lives towards one another. 
And as we are united in Christ, may the Holy Spirit work in our hearts so that we would be overflowing vessels of His mercy and His grace so that others would see the sweetness of Jesus. Amen? Because that's what we want the world to know. But do they see bitterness? Do they hear from our tongues bitterness and envy and reaction and rage? I'm I'm afraid that too often what they see is the very opposite of what they should be seeing in my life. That we shouldn't be like the outer peel of an orange or a lemon, but rather we should be the sweetest talking people on the face of the earth because in our hearts we have the sweetness of the freedom that we've been given in Christ Jesus because our sins are forgiven and he won the victory on the cross. And that's what we sing of every week. Hallelujah. He is that good. Our God is that good. May we be a church. I want to be that church who, yes, gets along, but even further, even more so, does the work of being gentle with one another and and good to one another so that we are an example of the good and gracious gospel he has given each one of us. Man, our tongues are so powerful, and it is so difficult to tame them. What does James say? Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. For he is our peace. He's leading us right to Jesus. Where did all that sweetness go? Where did that sweet girl and boy go? When you let the wisdom of the world take over, that's what it leads to, bitterness. And James says all sorts of unrest. But when you let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, then God begins to change us. And rather than always seeing ourselves and what we need and what we want and what we desire, rather in its place, he opens our eyes to the needs of others. But most importantly, our need for him. So here's what I want to do in closing. And this isn't just filler time. In other words, I'm not just saying this so that we can take a couple more minutes of your time. So what I don't want you to do is think about brunch yet, okay? I want you to focus just for a moment. I want you to bow with me as we pray because we, we can have times of confession together, but, but, but it, it being corporate, it still can be individual. It can, it can still be personal. And, and what I want you to do is I want you to take this time to confess any bitterness or envy or strife that you might have in your heart. And I want you to give it to God, just between you and God. So bow your head, and I'm going to pray over you uh, this prayer, asking God, that God would open up your heart to what you need to see in yourself in order that you would be able to let go of some things and let God get a hold of your heart so that he would bring harmony into your relationships. He'd bring, bring, bring love into relationships that have been broken and that he would heal things that are divided and have no hope without him. And guess what? That's what our nation needs. It's what our world needs. So I'm just going to pray that upon us, especially in this important week and a half. As we consider... Uh, 
what's coming up in our nation's history, uh, but also um, where we personally need healing. Uh, Jesus, without your peace, there is no hope because there is no victory. Without your forgiveness and your cleansing, may these uh, be words uh, that we take personally to our hearts. Lord Jesus, if there's bitterness in our hearts towards one another on any level and in any way, Lord, allow us to let it go. May we be a church that wants to seek peace and look for ways to reconcile with one another. Lord Jesus, you've given us that hope because you made us right with our Father. That which was separated, you've brought back together. May we be a church that's all about bringing that which is broken back together. So Lord, take our brokenness and heal us and bring into the division peace and, and sweeten our taste for one another, so to speak, and put in, in the place of bitterness and envy and strife, goodness, purity, mercy. And so, Lord Jesus, do that now in this church and in my heart. And I pray, Lord, that if there is anyone here that has never personally received the gospel, the peace of Christ, I pray that today would be the day. Pray, Lord, that they would surrender today. If there's anyone here who needs to surrender their life to Jesus and never has, I pray that today you would just say yes to Jesus, that you would... Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Give me that peace that you promised. And take away all the sin and bitterness and envy and strife. And in its place, fill me with your love. I hope that's all of our prayer this morning. Praying this all by the power of Jesus' name. Amen.